This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Hey, this is Jason Elam. Join Lola Robbins, Kyle Butler, and me for the Messy Spirituality Podcast, where we try to empower your spiritual evolution with honest conversation about how to be a better human, taking a critical look at toxic Bible stories, and look behind the headlines for growth opportunities underlying current events. Hey, it's a bisexual hairstylist who escaped a cult, a black mystic, and a recovering Southern Baptist preacher. What could possibly go wrong? Check out the Messy Spirituality Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Do you like aliens, UFOs, cryptids, and the supernatural? What about self-defecating humor? Uh, Actually, it's self-deprecating humor. Well, you may both be right. Alien Theorist Theorizing is a comedy podcast that examines cases like Roswell, Bigfoot, or the Atacama Alien. If any of these topics pique your interest, subscribe to Alien Theorist Theorizing free anywhere you find podcasts or go to alientheorists.com. Hi friends, I'm Tim Whitaker and welcome to the New Evangelicals podcast. The New Evangelicals is an inclusive, Jesus-centered community that holds space for people marginalized by the evangelical church, advocates for accountability in the church, and helps you explore the Christian tradition beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. This podcast is part of that work, so join us as we talk to people from all walks of life, lending their expertise and wisdom to us as we renegotiate our faith and find better paths forward. Oh boy, I know. Friends, listen, I know. Three podcasts in a week. Tim, what the hell are you doing to me? I get it, but okay, listen, here's why we're podcasting last minute. So the Gospel Coalition, let me just start there. They wrote an article. It was done by Josh Butler, who full transparency we've had on the show before. And I'll explain why in the actual interview that I dropped with this guest. Just follow me here for a minute. Josh Butler wrote a book. uh, book. Wow. Well, he did write a book, but he wrote an article called Sex Won't Save You, but it points to the one who will on the Gospel Coalition. And it is one of the most cringiest articles I've ever read that talks a lot about sex and the church. And I'm going to let my guests kind of break this down. I brought on Sheila Gregoire and Rebecca Lindenbach to talk about this. Now, they are are the authors of The Great Sex Rescue. They do a lot of data, like empirical data research on women and evangelicalism and how how, you know, they've been taught about sex and the orgasm gap. And this is a very, let me just warn you now, we talk a lot about sex and using sex terminology. So I'm just letting you know, there's also a mention uh, of rape in this episode. So just be warned for that. But I brought them on to talk about this article because it, guys, friends, family, whatever, it's, it's really bad. It's just, it's a, it's a painfully awkward article that will give Many, many, many TikTok influencers and progressive deconstruction satire accounts, a ton of content because of how awkward it is. But also beyond that, there's a pretty harmful meaning and a pretty harmful theology that is that is, you know, talked about in this in this post. So I brought on Sheila and Rebecca to talk about it. That's why we're doing this podcast. I know it's the third one, but trust me, this is one you really want to buckle up for because, well, here we go. Here's the interview. Talk to you all later on. Oh boy, here we go. Um, this is my third <laughs> podcast this week that we're releasing. That's how urgent this episode is. Sheila Gregor, Rebecca Lindenbach, how'd I do? 
Last name okay? Good. Yes. Woo, yeah. Thank goodness. Good to have both of you back on again. So, Sheila, you've been on twice now on the podcast. Rebecca, mm-hmm. we spoke on an Instagram Live uh, a while back. Yes. So it's good. I mean, I, I don't know if I would say it's good to have you back on given the circumstances, but it is nice to talk to both of you again. Thank you for making time and being on the podcast. Whether or not it's good, I hope it's always interesting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, listen, I, I've I've recited this story like five times today. I'm kind of exhausted. Sheila, do you want to kind of preface to the audience here what the hell we're about to talk about? Okay. First of all, I want you all – we're going to say things and you're all going to think you didn't hear it properly. <laughs> And just know you did. You did. You did. You heard it. Yeah, you did. So yesterday, um, the Gospel Coalition dropped an article, which is an excerpt. It's the very beginning of chapter one from Josh Butler's new book, Beautiful Union, which is about sex, which launches April 11th. It's one of the first books um, out of the Tim Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics that has just launched. Um, So this book is a big, big deal, apparently. He got a major advance for it, and it and the Gospel Coalition was so proud of it, and it compared Jesus to semen. <laughs> I think, the I think technically the Holy Spirit was the semen, and Jesus was the penis. I think that's okay. I think that's an accurate description. Yes, uh, in in okay. audience, if you're driving, you did hear that right. This article <laughs> describes Jesus being the penis and the Holy Spirit being the semen that showers us in love. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. So yes. before we dig into this, let me kind of give the audience some context here. So Joshua Butler, this is actually someone that I discovered years ago. He wrote a, a really good book called The Skeletons in God's Closet that I read that I absolutely loved. It was kind of one of my, my first books that helped me rethink hell. And then when I started doing this work, he wrote an article for TGC about like why people deconstruct. And it was not a good article. Mm-hmm. It was like they deconstruct because they want street cred, because they think it's- Was that him? That same guy. Same guy. Oh, wow. Well, and, okay. and I went, Josh, this is a horrible article. Why don't you come on the podcast and we'll talk about it? And he did. So he's been on the podcast before. So I've, okay. I've kind of had my eye on Josh. And then Josh drops this bombshell of an, of an article that- Sheila, did you say is an excerpt from his upcoming book? That's correct. And yes, and and let me just can I can I read just a couple of sentences to give to give the listeners the idea of why Twitter went. I have never seen Twitter go ballistic like this. Do you want to just <laughs> well, first preface like the actual like his, his, what he's trying to accomplish here in this page, and then give some of the excerpts? Yeah, I mean. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> I I think there, there. I think he was trying to use sex as a metaphor for salvation and and show us um that <laughs> that that we can see through sex how God relates to us and saves us. Okay. How about you, Rebecca? What I, do you think? I think I just, I'm just seeing a lot of phallic imagery and I'm having a hard time getting past that. I'm, I'm <laughs> okay. Okay. Let me try to put this in the most positive way I can. I think. Yeah. You know what? You know, and you know what I do? And, and, and I know we're laughing, but I, I do think that there, that, that God, and I do come from a background. I still do believe, um, God created us, that sex is to be sacred, that there is something intimate about sex that, that, 
is from God sure. that we can learn about how what intimacy is through sex, what God intended in his intimate relationship with us through sex. I've written about this. Right. I don't think this is a weird thing to talk about. But I read this and it was I I I just I don't know how you can even describe it. <laughs> I think that's a fair assessment. And you're right. I mean, Sheila, you wrote The Great Sex Rescue. I mean, obviously, you're, you're, you're known in the spaces that I exist. We both in. did, actually. Oh, sorry, we both Rebecca did, yes. and Sheila. You both wrote the book. All good. It did really- and we're mother-daughter, so that's how weird this is. Like, <laughs> yeah, like right. we can talk about sex and it isn't weird, right? but this is weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, um, I think- if I was if, if I was told if I if I was given a million dollars to paint this and spin it in the best possible light ever, I would say okay. okay. I think Josh is trying to talk about how sex is sacred and how sex can teach us about how God relates to humanity, mainly the church. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. I, I, if Josh was pitching this to me, I'd say. You know, Josh, that sounds a little out there. I know that 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 we can pull some of that language, but this is a weird connection. So why don't you give me an excerpt? And then Josh gives us this. Sheila, do you want to start reading some of these these pieces that made us go, what the hell are I was we reading? Do, for you. do you want to do penetrator holy place? Oh, we'll <laughs> do the holy, okay, we'll do this. Back in the wedding suite, the bride embraces her most intimate guest on the threshold of her dwelling place and welcomes him into the sanctuary of her very self. She gladly receives the warmth of his presence and accepts the sacrificial offering he bestows upon the altar within her most holy place. I'm turning my camera off. I can't look at you straight. I'm sorry. <laughs> ah! <laughs> now here's, here's one of the bones that I have to pick with a lot of kind of evangelical discourse around sex yes. is this is what happens. We make really holy sounding language, but when you add actual real world terminology to what is being said, it means something very different, which means you're not actually giving the message you think you're giving. Like if we look at that quote, and we talk about this in terms of the, the metaphors being used. So she, like, gladly receives the warmth of his presence. His penis goes inside of her. And a sacrificial offering, he comes inside of her. And it's there in her vagina. Is the altar the like, cervix? Is the altar the cervix, the uterus, or the vagina? Like, we don't know. Is it just where the semen ends up? What's the threshold? Like her, the, or what, what? Is the threshold the vulva? I don't know. Is it the labia minora? Is it like... <laughs> I don't know. And, and I, I, Okay, so there's one other quote I want to read that I think really emphasizes how this term presence or warmth of his presence is not yes. like a... Yes, a, that one... It's not yeah. a bodily temperature thing because in this context, mm -hmm. it sounds very different. So, quote... Generosity and hospitality are both embodied in the sexual act. Think about it. Generosity involves giving extravagantly to someone. You give the best you've got to give, lavishly pouring out your time, energy, or money. At a deeper level, generosity is giving not just your resources, but your very self. And what deeper form of self-giving is there than sexual union where the husband pours out his very presence, not only upon, but within his <laughs> wife? So um, to, this, this paragraph makes it clear to me that presence is another name for semen. And that it's ejaculate. Yeah, yes. we have. We currently have a thread of about 150 comments in our Patreon group trying to figure out what exactly he's putting upon her. I, well, I think we all know, like, friends. I mean, I hate to say it, but I think it's like, let's be clear. I, I think that semen's. But not, does you know. he know that? Does he know that's what he said? 
Like, how can you? I'm sorry. How can you not? I just can't get over the idea that semen is a gift. That's what I can't get over. That is such a male centric <laughs> view. Like we did a whole podcast that we called the myth of the magic penis. That was a whole episode that we did. This is the myth of the magic penis. Like there's yes. something magical about mm-hmm. semen that makes her just be like, oh my goodness, thank well, not, you. Not that. And that's yeah, just yeah. not like. <laughs> also, it's generous. I, I am self, whenever I orgasm, I tell my wife, I am self sacrificing myself. For you, this is me being generous. Is having an orgasm where you know I ejaculate. I mean, th- what I have never in my life thought about having an orgasm as self-sacrificial love in any way, yes. shape, or form because it feels great. Was it Laura? <laughs> was it Laura Robinson's thread? I know there's been so I mean, many Laura's threads. Thread was amazing, but oh, someone so was saying it's like it's like if if she cooks dinner for you, yeah, yeah. and then you eat it. <laughs> Are you being generous to her? Like, is that a sacrifice on your part? Yeah. 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 That is Laura's threat, um, by the way, which is so good. So good. Yeah. It was so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, what bothers me when we look at this kind of stuff and it's, it's not discussing sex. It's actually not discussing sex from a Christian perspective. It's fetishizing the female like using females during sex. Like that's, that's what is fetishizing, right? Like it's looking at, it's calling her the most holy place. It's so focused on semen entering a woman and the life giving sprout. And it it feels very Doug Wilson-esque. Oh, so much. So much. In how it's, it's so yeah. much about, you know, planting your seed, entering into her. Conquering. Con- yeah. Conquering, penetrating. And again, just to always. Which is talk. also what Gary Thomas said yeah. in Married Sex. This is such yeah. a common idea. And, and at some point, we have to recognize that if we're not able to talk about sex from like the perspective of everyone involved, yeah. not just the man yeah. in these kinds of relationships, we are fetishizing women. We're not treating them like whole beings. Yes. Like this is so objectifying the idea that a woman is thrilled to receive a man's semen (laughs) and that she generously opens herself so that she can receive this sacrificial gift. That is a pornographic view of women. That is not a real view of women, especially when her pleasure is not mentioned once. Well, to be fair, it enters her sanctuary as Josh calls it. Um, I wish I was exaggerating, and I want to read this. You know, I, 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 I do need to say something about the most holy place. Go ahead, Tim. Yes. I'm not sure if Josh realizes, but the most holy place, the priests were only allowed to enter once a year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell him that. You can tell him that. <laughs> uh, I guess that's a fair point, and I think it, that demonstrates just like how weird of an analogy, and like what a weird. Tr- you're just trying to fit things that just don't work analogy. And they had to wear pomegranates or something, didn't they? Or, or have bells. And, yeah. Uh, I think what is interesting is that as if that's not awkward enough, I mean, just to like, like you said, Rebecca, just this language of women are just semen receptacles like that. They just can't wait yeah. to, to be that. Oh, thing. and we like it. And yeah. You love it. And we yeah. like yeah. it yeah. all the time. Um, and you should also thank your husband, right? Like, thank you. Cause I want to be hospitable to you as you do this mm-hmm. self-sacrificing thing. Okay. If that wasn't awkward enough, then Josh, a couple paragraphs down later says this, this is a picture of the gospel. Christ arrives in salvation to be not only with his church, but within his church. Christ gives himself to his beloved with extravagant generosity, showering his love upon us and imparting his very presence within us. Now, remember, a few paragraphs up, presence was 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 a euphemism for semen. 
Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he finishes the paragraph by saying, Christ penetrates his church with the generative seed of his word and the life-giving presence of his spirit, which takes root within her and grows to bring new life into the world. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. What am I reading? What am I reading? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there, there's so many, there's so many different ways that we could talk about this, but, yeah. but yes, that's true. Um, I, I, I think that it is, it, it's really concerning to me that once again, when he's trying to make sex um, seem like a picture of the church and Christ, he's only seeing sex as a male pleasure. Like if I were going to talk about this, if I, and because I, I do think that it's valid to talk about it as spiritual or whatever, I would be looking at sex as it's supposed to be, right? So you got two people and they're naked together, literally and figuratively, right? So you're bearing, you know, you're bearing all, you're not holding anything back. Like this is what intimacy is. It's just all of me (laughs) sharing with all of you. And then if you think about an orgasm, it's the height of pleasure where if you're trying to be in control, it doesn't work. So you have to just experience. It's not about thinking. It's not about doing. It's just about experience and letting your body kind of take over. And that to me is the image that God has for us is like in our relationship with him, we're not entirely in control. We don't need to be in control. It's okay to bear ourselves. You know, it's okay to just be open with God. Like that's how you talk about this in a non creepy, non weird way. But, but, but who's the semen then? (laughs) True. And and which one is giving the semen? Obviously, obviously it can't be gay. So it has to be, you know, actually that's another point is, is like, if they're going to use this, like Christ and the church, Jesus is, is penetrating, then really like the man is the feminine one. Like the man is feminine compared to Christ. And so like, it is the man who's getting penetrated. I don't know if the gospel coalition thought that one through. (laughs) But the thing that really bothers me about this is that this image, this imagery, this wording can also be used to describe horrifically. Yes. Yeah penetrates leaves his seed in order for it to be there's there's no discussion of like there's the consent kind of in being hospitable and generous but what about your your people who have experienced sexual assault and now you're saying oh well christ will penetrate you and leave his seed in you uh well i mean this assumes that well for example what if you don't feel happy or generous right or hospitable like what if you don't want to do that well hey you know a good wife is is hospitable to her husband always and gladly receives his semen. I can't yeah. believe I'm saying semen this much on a podcast, but I'm just saying know, you know, like it, but, it lends itself to that kind of ideology very easily. But here's here's okay. So great sex rescue. Let me let me just tell you. Let me let me remind your readers of some of the things we sure. found. So we surveyed twenty thousand predominantly evangelical women, mm-hmm. and we found a forty seven point orgasm gap. Okay, yeah. so ninety five percent of men are. <laughs> They're always getting there. The semen is on their seed (laughs) within and upon. Okay. Like every time, right? Right. Right. (laughs) Um, Compared to just 48% of women. Right. So we have a 47 point orgasm gap. That's a lot of women who are not enjoying it. And we found that overwhelmingly one of the big messages that is taught in our evangelical books is that women are obligated to give their husband sex when they want it. Yeah. And now it's not often used as this big threat. Like you have to do it. What they say is, you know, things like 
you like a good wife will and remember your vows and it's all put in this romantic language but at the end of the day it's you belong to him and you belong to his urges and your job is to make sure that his urges are met and if you say no then you aren't as good of a wife as the wife who says yes all the time and that's the message that women get and so then you get this crap which says by the way also Jesus does that to you right and by the way if you're saying no to sex that means that you aren't experiencing the gospel in the same way right. because you are saying no to something that God created that it, it's there's so many layers to how yeah. this can be damaging especially to women in relationships with men who are not uh, who, who are sexually selfish who are sexually entitled yeah I mean he had such a great opportunity in this book to bring sex back to something sacred because sex has been talked about in evangelical books by men as something which is not sacred. Mm. Like uh, Emerson Egrich in the book Love and Respect, talking about how sex is about a husband's physical release. Right. Right? And um, in every man's battle, how they say to women, you know, you may not want to, but do the right thing, give him release. Yeah. So sex is about giving him release. Like, that's disgusting. Right. And so he had the opportunity to change that narrative. And say, no, this is supposed to be something sacred. This is supposed to be something intimate for both of us. And instead, all he did to me, when I read this, I don't read anything different than the give him release thing in every man's battle. It's just that he's put poetic language on it. Yeah. And also now the Holy Spirit is called semen. Yeah. Right. And also (laughs) an emphasis on on the way these these roles work is the man is generous in sacrificing himself and the woman is hospitable so therefore like a good host is always happy and gladly receiving this sacrifice exactly. just like wait a second but that's yeah. not how like the world works that's not how sex <laughs> always works you know like like or, or, or you know my wife is not always in the mood i'm not always in the mood like it doesn't work like that but if you're just mm-hmm. reading this and then you come from that purity culture background it reinforces what you have already been taught right that well a good yeah. wife has to give her husband that release because look he's sacrificing it's a sacrificial love when he has an orgasm i mean it just sounds crazy <laughs> it's crazy talk it is it is wow and i i, I want to bring up while we're here and i want to give people a trigger warning this this tweet talks about rape so just be aware of that but i want to read from this um this person's twitter who posted this publicly just about how this article affected her she said, more on the TGC article, as a kid, my pastor rapist told me, this, <coughs> excuse me, the sanctuary was the perfect place because what he was doing to me was holy and, and sanctified by God. With every vile act, he spewed twisted scripture in my ear. Imagine how the article lands for someone like me. I think that's an ama- uh, not amazing, but it, yeah. it, it's a very important point that again, it just seems to me, listen, I don't know who works at, the, at TGC, but it sounds like whoever greenlit this article had no perspective for this. But remember, it's not just TGC, right? It's the Keller, Tim Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics, yeah, which is releasing this book. It's Waterbrook Multnomah, which is one of the five huge, big Christian publishers. There's a whole slew of editors who worked on this. There's agents. This book actually comes with a study guide. Okay. I have written seven books now, I think, mm-hmm. eight books. My The very first study guide I'm going to get is in my next one. We finally got my publisher to agree to that, even though my books have sold fairly well because publishers just don't do study guides. Oh, they don't? They just I don't, don't, don't anymore. They just don't. Yeah. There's not a lot of money in them. They only do them for books that are going to go big. Oh, wow. So, yeah. so apparently he got a six-figure advance 
for a two book deal. So he made minimum 50,000 on this book, likely more if they're going to give him a study guide too. Yeah. And so that's a whole lot of people who read this and thought, yeah, this is a good idea. What do you think that tells you about the state of like this evangelical industrial complex? I feel like people like myself, I know you guys do this too, keep telling people, look, there's so much abuse happening in these spaces with no accountability. And we have to rethink how we approach sexual ethics, especially in the cultural view, because clearly mm-hmm. culture knows we hate gay people and we hate anyone who doesn't act like us. They, they know that already. And then we get an article like this that just reinforces these really harmful you know, gender binaries and complementarian views that that do not lead to healthy, flourishing sex lives for both parties involved. I, I don't know what to think about it. Shopping these days can be underwhelming, but at QVC, we believe those who love to shop deserve a living, breathing way to shop, where product descriptions are alive with demos by creators, chats with inventors, and hosts who know the most. From self-care and kitchenware to fashion trends and forever faves, at QVC, we bring life to products and products to life. Shop qvc.com podcast and use code QVC15podcast for $15 off $30 for new customers. This is shopping brought to life. But, you know, if their main goal is to show that men and women have supremely different roles, then doing that with sex is almost necessary. And so they have to do the man is the is the instigator, the woman the is conqueror. the receiver. And they yeah. think this is a good thing. And they're in such a bubble. They think this is a good thing. But they're seeing it through such a male lens. Can we read you? I, this isn't in that article, but it's in the first chapter of the book, which you can which you can preview. Feel free, my friend. He says something about prostitution, which is really it's one really of the most telling. shocking things that I have read. Yeah, okay, I'll buckle so, up. I'm ready. Okay, I just got to find it. So he's been talking about um, like things that can mar the image of like mar sex, and you know he talks about he talks about rape, and he says it's very bad. I'm glad he's yeah, against rape. Thank God. That's good. Um, <laughs> And then it gets, and so he's been talking about different sins. Okay. So this is framed in terms of all of these different sins. And then he talks about prostitution. Okay. So he's been talking about rape and now prostitution. Okay. Prostitution is the most symbolic inversion of hospitality. It's worth recognizing that those involved in prostitution are often pressured to do so by circumstances beyond their control. Yes, okay. We're glad he said that. Yeah. Um, uh, whilst, but, but, but he goes on to talk about how prostitution welcomes a guest without charging admission. No, while charging admission. Oh, right. While charging admission. So, so that's what prostitution is. It's welcoming a guest without while charging admission. And it turns what ought to be an exchange of pure gift into a transaction. Okay, it makes a person a product. And then the, the conclusion of his prostitution thing, do you want to read it? Sure. Is, um, so he talks about... Um, he talks about all this stuff about how it's it's just lacking hospitality and this is this, but we are right to feel that something deep is violated in the act of prostitution itself, for it disfigures the hospitality that is iconic of the gospel within the secure communion of God's faithful love. So the problem with prostitution is that she charges for it. It's not that people feel entitled to buy another person's body. Yeah. Like the whole way he frames prostitution is the problem with prostitution is that women 
are selling their bodies. When they should be giving it freely. He doesn't talk about how the problem of prostitution is that men are buying women. Right. And did he say that it disfigures hospitality? Isn't that like another kind yeah, of yes, oath? Yeah. Like it disfigures the woman? Like it, it mars her? It disfigures her. the hospitality that is iconic of the gospel. It's it's hard to separate hospitality from woman based on this article and also how he's framing the whole conversation. I don't think it's a major yeah. jump to say so. Are you hinting that like women who are who engage in prostitution, they're being disfigured, but the men who buy them no comments. Or just they're kind of being cheated because they're being charged. And I don't think that's what he meant well, to he does, And he does say later that, you know, sex outside of marriage is wrong. So he's not arguing that she should just mm-hmm. be giving it away for free. But regardless, can you imagine framing the problem of prostitution as being that a woman is selling her body instead of the problem of prostitution being that men are preying on vulnerable women especially, and teenagers and children. Especially when you already said that many of these women are forced into the right. sex trade because of things. Right. So like you're, you're looking at sex trafficking victims and he's like, it's really just a shame that they charge for this. Right. right. I mean, listen, I, I'm not an expert in, in, in like the sex trafficking um, you know, systems that happen, but I don't think it's crazy to say that I would garner a lot of women who get pushed into prostitution are trying just to provide for their family or just trying to take care of their yeah. kids because the economy and they can't find a job. I mean, there's other layers than, oh, mm-hmm. I'm just a promiscuous woman who wants to sleep with all these men all the time and make money while doing it. I mean, I'm sure, I'm <laughs> sure maybe you can find someone who would say that, but it seems like from my understanding, most people who end up in prostitution did not plan on going that direction in their life, but circumstances beyond their control push them into it which is a, a whole but again issue framing but framing the sin of prostitution as selling sex right. rather than buying yeah, sex right. is once again says a whole lot about your perspective of women yeah yeah and it's also your perspective of men yeah like the, this whole mentality the way that places like the gospel coalition talk about sex it feels like the entire point is to make sure that men never have to bear any responsibility for any of their actions right so the prostitute is the problem because she's selling it so of course he's gonna buy it right, right. They, this is the same group that has the mentality that you know men will look at you if you're wearing immodest clothing and they can't help it because it's a biological response right. it's the same group that thinks that you know um, if she isn't having sex and is it any wonder that he'll have an affair men have needs you know this is the same group that says all this and it feels there was i think it was our patreon group someone said all that responsibility to take off of men has to go somewhere Mm -hmm. and we put it on women um and it's just when i see that stuff about prostitution and the stuff about how it's a sacrifice that he ejaculates inside of her (laughs) um and all this stuff it's like at some point the goal of all these places and when you ask what does this make us think about all these different places I'm going to be honest, the more they put out it, it just it feels like a male-centered sex cult. Mm-hmm. Um it also is strange to me how usually people in these spaces are really big on like sexual purity and like, you know, not being vulgar and not like whatever you want to call it. But like this article, it's it's pretty crass. I mean, frankly, like it does not take mm-hmm. uh, a rocket scientist to read this and be like Oh, he's talking about like, again, very normal sexual activities, but if they were put in a movie or if they were talked about for what they really are, most people at TGC would say, no way you can post this. You can't publish it. But because- Yeah, you just but, make it a pirate and but you know a lady on a ship. You know what's interesting about it? They, I, I did, I did word searches um, in the first bit that is available online because mm. it doesn't launch until mid-April. He never uses the words um, orgasm, 
clitoris, penis, semen. Like he doesn't use the actual words. And yet everyone reading this felt like it was so explicit because what he's doing is he's using poetic language. And if he had used the real words, he probably wouldn't have worded it the, the way he did. Totally. Like he only got away with it because he wasn't using the real words. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it got so gross. And this is what, like when you're talking about sex, you need to actually talk about what you're talking about. Because <laughs> right. um, right. he actually quotes me in this. I don't know if you know that, oh, Like, but further in the book, in the book or, yeah, he, or in the article? In the, in the so oh, okay. it's, it's in, like, it's a couple of pages after the article ends. So again, I'm, like, the article was an excerpt of the first few pages of chapter one, and, and all of chapter one is available online. So I, I'm taking a look at it here. And he actually quotes me, and he doesn't understand what I was saying. <laughs> what does he say? Okay, so... Here's what I I was talking about the fact and and the part that he quotes me from is a larger piece I wrote on the theology of the clitoris, okay? Okay. Where I'm saying, look, God could have put the clitoris up there, but he didn't. He put it outside the vagina for, because it, it shows us that women don't get maximum stimulation through intercourse, okay? A lot of women can orgasm through intercourse, but in our surveys, most women f- reported that there were other routes to orgasm that were more reliable, Okay, because it's the clitoris getting stimulated that gives women the most pleasure. And that the reason that God did that, I think, tells us that in sex, God intended men to have to serve women Mm. because men tend to be able to reach orgasm a lot faster than women. And so if both are to receive pleasure, then he's got to serve her and stimulate her in some way. So that's what I'm talking about. And he's he's quoting from part of that. So I was talking about how to bring a woman to orgasm. Yeah. Okay. Got it. He's talking about desire. And he says that desire works differently. He, he quotes Emily Nagoski, who is the author of Come As You Are, which is an excellent book as well about female orgasm and how um, men tend to have more spontaneous libido and women tend to be more responsive. Uh, and, 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 this, and so women need more romancing. And then he does this quote, which is about orgasm. And then he says, female desire points to the gospel as well. In other words, her desire to be romanced is iconic of the church, which has had the flames of our desire stoked by the passion of Christ's sacrificial devotion towards us. Okay. I'm going to get technical for a minute here. I just don't like that language. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I know. It's gross. No one likes it. But desire and orgasm aren't the same thing. Mm. Okay. You got desire You've got arousal and you've got orgasm. If she isn't even at desire yet, don't go feeling her clitoris. Like, that means she doesn't want sex. Don't go feeling the bits. Like, he's saying, like, (laughs) see, the fact that you need to do all this foreplay means that she has a responsive desire. No, it doesn't. Hmm. It just means that she has a a female's reproductive and sexual system. No idea of the sexual response cycle. He's mixing. So he's, he's not even talking about sex properly. Wow. Because the problem is, this is what often happens, is uh, what I often see is we see these very conservative Christian groups. They'll talk about how women can experience pleasure, too. So remember to buy her flowers. Mm. Um, And it's like, hey, wait, those two things aren't related. Like, (laughs) women can experience sexual pleasure, too, but they can't actually get to the point where they say women are also orgasmic. Because that breaks down the manic pixie dream girl idea where she doesn't have needs. She's only there to be excited about his. And the myth of the magic penis. All she needs is your penis. And so he's literally quoting 
promoting these, like, I mean, Emily Nagoski is an expert in this. We are experts in our own right and our area of it through our research. Mm. And we're talking, both of us are talking about how women can actually achieve orgasm. And his takeaway is not that women also orgasm and you should orgasm, but rather that women have desire and it needs to be stoked because it's different. Interestingly, Emily Nagoski has since rewrote her book and has taken out that part that he's that he's talking about and has changed it. But anyway, um, <laughs> I just but I just where- I just wonder what it will take for women to be allowed to be visceral sexual beings. Can we tell you, you know? about Emerson Egrich? I like I like you can, up but on I have on one question. It's kind of a joke. I just want to know where the clitoris is on the church. Like, how does that work? <laughs> like, what does you just have to stimulate so? We get excited and desire. I don't. I'm just. Is it is it elevation worship songs? Is it like a light show? <laughs> is it like is it like that window that's directly below the steeple <laughs> yeah. and above the main doors saying, that like, every church I mean, has? Listen, audience, if you're like, oh, Tim, that was too far. This is Josh's fault. Josh Butler put it in our heads. All right, <laughs> Josh is the one who 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 posits like just like how a woman you know get, has desire and has a clitoris. So Jesus in the church. I mean, this is not my idea, but I'm just wondering, like you know. <laughs> I wonder where I wonder where it is. So anyway, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. so we we were listening to a podcast by Emerson Egrich, and he was talking about um, how to get her aroused, and he said that vacuuming gets women aroused, <laughs> but it's really hard to tell if a woman is aroused. Like he says, you can't actually tell if a woman is aroused, which I think is a huge tell okay. to say something like that. <laughs> hilarious. Like I will that's say. embarrassing to say that in public. That Absolutely you can't hilarious. Tell that it, how, if a woman is aroused. Yeah. But he goes on about how it's vacuuming that gets aroused. No, va- there's no possible way. I don't know what you're doing with that vacuum that would get her aroused. Like I, that is a scary thing to picture because he again is conflating desire with arousal, with orgasm. And desire simply means she want will, is willing and wants to have sex. I wouldn't even say it's up to desire. I think if it's about vacuuming, I think you're just at permission. Yeah. So you have permission <laughs> to even start trying to get her desirous. Mm. Yeah. That leads to her being aroused that if you continue in that direction leads to orgasm. So we're right. not even at desire. Like mm-hmm. even if a man's vacuum is kind of like, okay, I guess, I guess, I owe you some. That's what most women are yeah. like in that situation. Mm. And so the the problem is that for a man to have sex, unless he's going to coerce her mm-hmm. or just force, all he needs is for her to desire to have sex or be willing to have sex. Her being aroused, her reaching orgasm, that is not necessary for a man's experience. And so what we read when we see all these books that are often written from male point of view is that they make no distinction Mm. between desire, arousal, and orgasm. They're talking about everything is just desire because I don't know if they know what arousal is. I mean, like buying her flowers does not get her aroused. It might help romance her. It might make her think, hey, you know what? Let's do something tonight. I love you. Let's just have some fun. Sure, but buying her flowers is not going to make her reach orgasm. Right, right. <laughs> and why are we talking about this? Like, if we're going to talk about orgasm, we're not supposed to be talking about getting her chocolates. Mm. Wow. <laughs> or vacuuming. <laughs> <laughs> or va- I mean, yeah, maybe it's unless you're being really, really creative. I mean, anyway, I know this is. <laughs> I know it's this a is sound a thing. It's I don't know. Yeah, they hear the noise. I know. I know this is explicit. It's just this is a really pet peeve of mine. Is because. 
It's like they don't even talk about sex the way that women experience it. Yeah, yeah. right. They only talk about sex the way men experience it. Right. And then they completely miss out what women need to feel good. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's it's it just reinforces, right, just the level of ignorance that we're talking about by men who are writing books and claiming to be an authority on a subject that they consistently demonstrate to know so little about besides their own vantage point of being a man and having a penis, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what is so tricky because, I mean, listen, Josh Butler, he's an author. He's written many books. Like I said earlier, his book, The Skeletons in God's Closet, I found very helpful for the the time of my life. Um, And he's on this like, uh, what is it? Uh, um, This uh, Tim Keller, like apologetics thing, the Keller Center, uh, you know, with a bunch of people, they're trying to make this big push of like, hey, look, like we can maintain the faith and like we have some authority to speak into these things. And then Josh writes this article that comes out and you're like, this is bizarre. It's, it's, listen, it's it's not bizarre because we're talking about sex. Like we're adults. I have children. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we all have kids here in this conversation. We know how sex happens. We've, we've had sex before. I'm not afraid from using proper terminology, you know, that's fine, but it's how this sex conversation is framed in a way that, that, like Mm -hmm. you said, first off puts, I've never thought about hospitality and generosity in terms of uh, you know, a male female sexual encounter. That's already just kind of weird. But then you put this this Jesus and church language on top of it. And I'm like, listen, no offense, Josh. I don't want to be showered by the presence of Jesus. Like I just don't. <laughs> I'm call me a bad Christian, but like based on this article in this context, I don't want Jesus to penetrate me. I just don't. I am sorry. <laughs> I do not give consent. And it's hilarious to say but it's also like shocking that we have to say this, right? Like, like again, Josh, who is reading this for you and saying, hey, man, we got a real winner on our hands. Like this tracks. And on another note, briefly, and this is not my expertise. I'm not sure if it is for you. But theologically, this has been ripped to shreds already on Twitter by actual theologians. Like yes. scholars yes. of religion are like, actually, frankly, this is this is a shit take. All right. So yeah. so, yeah. so so there, there's not much holding it together besides, in my opinion, complementarianism, patriarchy, and a male-centered view of sex. Like those three things seem to be the trinity that that kind of pushes this perspective that in my perspective will be absorbed by a lot of people, unfortunately. Yes. I, I, I wonder too, how much of this book is a reaction to the fact that, I mean, maybe I'm thinking too highly of us, Becca. I don't know, <laughs> but um. You know, the biggest sex book in the last two years has been The Great Sex Rescue yeah. in Christian in the Christian world. And in writing that, we kind of, well, not kind of, we destroyed um, many of the other Christian sex books because we pointed out that this stuff that they're teaching is actually harmful. And here we measured it. Yeah, right. <laughs> we surveyed 20,000 people and we have now shown scientifically that your messages do harm and we need to talk about this in a different way. Right. But it was women who were doing this. Totally. Mm-hmm. And it's women, and and it's women who are you know who aren't complementarian, who are saying, "Hey, we've got to do this differently." And our book has really taken off. And I wonder if this is them attempting to regain the conversation and saying, "Hey, you know, men can talk about this too." And this is such a little thing. I didn't. The funny thing is, I didn't even notice this the first time people started tweeting me about it. But when you introduced me, I forget how you introduced me, but I think that that like. Li- li- Here's how Josh introduces me, that I'm a Christian sex blogger. Oh. 
Not a researcher. Not, 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 not one of the premier researchers in evangelicalism. Not an author. Right. Just a sex just, blogger. I'm just a sex just blogger. a random blogger online. Just blogging her little, yeah. her, her, little, her little women thoughts away about sex. You know, that, that's kind of the, yeah. that's kind of the vibe. I mean, it does feel like it just, it really does feel like they're discrediting or, or minimizing. And it may have been me. by accident. Maybe he didn't know. But if he had, if you read the theology of the clitoris, I mean, GSR is pasted all over there. Yeah. But I, <laughs> I think, I think that as long as we have a male centric view yeah. of sexuality, of the gospel, of the church, of faith, of everything, this kind of nonsense is going to continue because, yeah. you know, women in, in heterosexual relationships, right? Yeah. Women actually do have to understand how men work because women tend to be more at risk, mm. right? Like women grow up understanding how se- male sexuality works because frankly, we're trying to avoid it for the most, <laughs> for the majority of our life. Fair. Right. You talk to any woman, they're going to have stories about that. Yes. Men, on the other hand, don't grow up having to learn about women's experiences in the same way. You know, our periods are hidden. Um, Our experiences, like if you're cramping, you can't tell anyone at work. Yeah. Right. Because that would be unprofessional. Right. Um, And, and, you know, men don't really have a comparable, um, like something comparable that they, that they go through that women's bodies go through. Um, and so I do think that by giving only men these platforms, <laughs> we're missing out on on something because they don't even realize how little they know because they know that women understand them. And yes. so therefore, I must understand women. Yes. And that's totally different. And I, mm-hmm. I read this article um, in the Gospel Coalition, and my thought, my overarching thought is they will literally call God semen before they call God she. Oh, that's a word. And it's true. Um, I think Rebecca, that's a really, um, wise, uh, perspective that I think a lot of us, you know, especially being a man myself have to really come to terms with, you know, cause you're right. Like I, I, for most of my life as a teenager, you know, those things were hidden from me. Like I just assumed because they knew how I, how I work. Therefore I knew how they work. And it's just, it's just that simple. You know, it's very, it's just, it's, Frankly put, it's a very like, you know, white man centered view of like just a man centered view of like the world, right? Like this is everything revolves around me. And I think that um, this article only reinforces how harmful that can be and also how ignorant that can be. I mean, and listen, I don't, I'm not here to dehumanize Josh. You guys know we have a very strict policy of non dehumanization. So it's not about calling him any kind of names or, or downcrediting or, or, or downplaying who he is as a human made in the Imago Day. But as someone who is on the Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics, I, I don't have a lot of faith in that, in that center if this is what they're going to start pumping out as like this is legitimate christian apologetic mm-hmm. sexual ethics at work because i also it's just think weird. when we talk about people like josh too i i have a, a theory as someone who does research in this area because my mom and i work on this together right yeah. so we have a really really strict no personal no experience talk no nothing i know but, nothing about everything we know nothing about each other we, we only discuss in peer-reviewed data and our own surveys that is all we ever talk about because what any individual person experiences likes dislikes it doesn't actually matter because right. we're all right. dots on a scatter plot right, right? 
What I think often happens is with these guys who are writing these books is I think them writing a horrifically male-centric viewpoint that says women love sperm. <laughs> like, I don't actually think that necessarily says anything about the person themselves all the time. Because mm-hmm. I think what often happens is these people who have a relatively easy go of things, yeah. like things are really good. They're, they're in a great marriage. They're super happy. So they never had to think deeper about it. Yeah. And so they just go off and talk about whatever they want. They mm-hmm. haven't done the research to think about it from anyone else's perspective. Maybe they just are having a great time. Like maybe there's a great, happy mm-hmm. couple. And they don't think about it from the perspective of people who have sexual pain, yeah. of people who have been abused, yeah. of people who just simply experience this in a different way. People who are really stressed, people with mental health problems, people, whatever it right. is. Right. And so they say these things that sound very poetic and you kind of get in your head and you kind of egg yourself on and you keep going. And because there's no like gold standard of what you're working with and it's all kind of pontificating and logical syllogisms, which although we can all say that we're being logical, I think this piece that's on an apologetics website um, idea, sorry, that's, that's affiliated with an apologetic center shows that logical syllogisms can very quickly go awry. <laughs> yes. um, we have to have a gold standard that we're measuring against. And I just wish that mm-hmm. the church would recognize that sex is not a theological discussion in the same way mm. that things like grace or forgiveness are. There's a theological aspect. Yeah. But when we talk about sex, we must do it with a from an educated perspective. And there are so many places that are out there to try to educate people, not just our stuff either, obviously mm-hmm. our stuff, sure. but there's so many places they can learn and they instead choose not to. And I, I think it's easy to, mm-hmm. you know, laugh at the individual, but I think a lot of it just comes from kind of privileged ignorance versus malicious ignorance. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Oh, totally. But that, but that privilege is very much there because, you know, we have, we have a new book coming out almost the same time as Josh's new book actually <laughs> um, called She Deserves Better. We surveyed uh, 7,000 women about their experiences as teenagers in youth group mm. and the things that they were taught mm-hmm. and how that impacted their self-esteem and relationships later on as they grew up. Um, and one of the things we did was we gave them a whole set of sex ed words. And we said, how many of these words did you know at the point you graduated high school? Okay. Women were more likely to know the words for male anatomy mm. than they were to know the words for female anatomy. Yeah, I think specifically it was scrotum versus scrotum vulva. Scrotum versus vulva. We weren't they, even asking weird ones. Like vulva is pretty normal. Mm. They were more likely to know the word scrotum than vulva. And, it, and a minority, a minority knew any of them. Like it was under 50% knew either of those wow. words. Um, and uh, a, a, I think about 30% of women graduated high school without knowing that women orgasm. Wow. Um, <laughs> so, you know, these are, these are big things where we have not, we have so taught sex from a male point of view that women don't even know about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's, so it shouldn't even be surprising that men don't understand women either. But then all I'm just asking is for men to stop assuming that they are the experts. Yeah. This is one of the big things that we've been doing. This is what we've been trying to drill into people's heads is that one of the reasons that evangelicalism is in the mess that it's in yeah. is that pastors think they're experts on everything. Totally, totally. And they're not. They're not experts on mental health. Right. They're not experts on sex. They're not experts on divorce. They're not experts on abuse. They're not experts on all of these things. And they need to just stay in their lane sometimes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's important to mention here to start to kind of land this plane that that both of you, you know, your book, The Great Sex Rescue, I think it was you told me the largest survey of women ever done around sex. Is that correct? 
Around um, sex and evangelical and beliefs. Evangelical. Yeah. So I think yeah. it's important for the audience to know that, you know, I'm talking to two legends here who have done the work. I think that, I think that that's what's so important because you've done the hard, difficult, you know, work of finding empirical evidence and data to then support your conclusions. Mm-hmm. You didn't just write a blog post one day and say, hey, this is a new gospel or compare, you know, the church to, I don't know, a woman who's getting penetrated or something. I don't freaking know. <laughs> Whatever. But you get my point. You know, is that like it's important for people to know that 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 both of you have done amazing work, continue to do amazing work, and that I agree with you, frankly, that especially because men have dominated this conversation publicly and in evangelical spaces for so long, we must, must let women lead the way for however long it takes to start getting some more equity here. You know what I mean? This is I think for me, the way I see it is equity is not, oh, well, okay, now you can talk. Equity is okay, how about some how about we men sit back for a bit and like listen and mm-hmm. like read some of their data from the work that they've done and let them guide the conversation for the next couple of years before we start even putting our pinky toe back in the conversation. Because clearly we got a long freaking way to go with these kinds of articles, you know, about penis yeah. homes and shit like that. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, and there was so much. There was so much more icky, icky stuff we could have read. I mean, I'm sure you're going to put the link to the article, and people can go look at it themselves because we barely scratched the surface. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's just so icky. There's so much to say. It is. I you know that, that. That's why Twitter's on fire. I covered it today on today's Thursday. I'm releasing this tomorrow, so we covered it on our Instagram. And listen, I, I think it's important. I, it's important for evangelicals like this to know that we see them. And that we read their stuff. And just because some of us might be renegotiating our faith or deconstructing or frustrated with the church doesn't mean that we don't care. If I didn't care, I would not care about this article. I wouldn't be doing the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm sure the same is, is is true for you guys. We care and we're reading what they're saying because we know the impact and the influence places like TGC and the whole publishing network behind it have. And we want people to be led to human flourishing, not to really weird views of sex that end up harming one party or in some cases both. So I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, Can know. I say one thing, yeah, Tim? Sure. Can I say, you know what, yeah. if you are upset and you want to change this, okay, and yeah. you're still in church spaces, it is okay to walk out when certain speakers speak. It's okay to complain to your church librarian that they have certain books. You know, it's okay to start leaving Amazon reviews on books that you have read that you know harmed you. Go leave an Amazon review. Like we can speak up. We're not helpless because sometimes it looks like the evangelical industrial machine is huge and it's a juggernaut and it's going to keep going, but it only exists because people buy their stuff. Yeah. And when we stop buying it, when we start telling other people about how bad this stuff is, we really can make an impact. I love that. Sheila and Rebecca, where can folks find your work? I mean, plug plug all your stuff away. <laughs> Bearmarriage.com. That's that's the blog, bearmarriage.com. Our pod, you can find our podcast there. Rebecca's usually on it with me every yeah. Thursday. I'm a little bit uh, less often because I have children that I have to work around. So, <laughs> so bearmarriage.com. Um there, if, if you go to courses, we've got our orgasm course, our libido course, our teach your kids about puberty and sex course. We've got all our books, Great Sex Rescue, She Deserves Better. Um, my Fixed It For You book, for those of you who like my Fixed It For You's on Instagram, that's out now. Oh, great. Um, so that. yeah, just go take a look at, at baremarriage.com. Awesome. Well, thank you, my friends, for coming back on. Always a pleasure to talk to you. I'm sure at some point in the future, we'll be back on talking about another article. <laughs> so until then, I'll see there- you. I'll see you all on Twitter. There's always going to be another one.
Bread aisle, are you ready to rock? Dave's Killer Bread is the country's number one organic bread for a reason. Always delivering killer taste, killer texture, and killer nutrition. This isn't bread. This is bread amplified. 